Okay, things are going to be a little different this morning. Uh, that is not the passage of Scripture we're going to read. Uh, things are a little different this morning. Pastor Jeff has COVID. Jack Rance, who was scheduled to preach this morning, had a heart attack on Friday evening and uh, yesterday morning, uh, uh, Pastor Jeff uh, texted the elders and let us all know kind of what the status was and what, where things were. I was scheduled to preach in the middle of August, and I pretty much had the message that you're going to hear ready. I did have to scramble and make a few changes yesterday, but, but uh, Jack and Jeff were both very relieved that... Uh, there was going to be somebody to stand in, in their place here. In fact, Jack called me this morning from his hospital bed. Uh, he sounded great. I said, Jack, uh, we're praying for you. What are you doing calling us? And uh, he said, well, I'm praying for you. And he, uh, he thanked me for... Uh, uh, the blessing of being able to bring the Word of God to you this morning. And he told me he wasn't going to be able to probably stream it live, but he would be watching later. And that comment reminded me of the last time I preached here, and I completely forgot about the, that I was on camera. My son, who, watches, who watched that service in uh, Los Angeles, said, Dad, you got up there, prayed, and then immediately walked off camera. I didn't see, a, see you at all for a while. <laughs> and you'll, you maybe recall, if you were here before, I have a tendency to pace. I've decided I'm going to hang on right here <laughs> and not, not go that much further astray. Um, so that's, that's kind of where we're at. So, in your bulletin, you have a, uh, uh, sermon notes. Those are not the sermon notes that we're going to follow this morning. <laughs> we're going to follow the text that I uh, just described to you out of uh, Hebrews, or that I just read to you out of Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to continue this series on the heart of Jesus that uh, Pastor uh, began uh, last week for us. And... Uh, and focus in on that. I appreciated uh, the many comments that uh, some of you gave the last time I preached and how commented how uh, you enjoyed that message. I, I appreciated those comments. But there was one email that I received that said, you know, Bob, you were good, and, and Pastor Jeff is really good, but we, we pay him to be good, but you, you were good for nothing. Now, I didn't quite know how to take that comment. But it reminded me to be humble. That it is not about me. It's about God and what he has to say to us. And so with that being said, I would like us to pray. Lord God, we do come to you. Come to you humbly and, and ask God that you would be the one who presents to us, pre preaches to us, gives us clear understanding of your word. 
Open our hearts and our minds, our ears, to hear what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This is a quote that uh, I wanted to share with you as we begin. Uh, as believers in Christ, ours is an intimate relationship with God the Father. Because of what Christ has done for us, God is not primarily our legal judge. Rather, he is our loving father. He sees us as his children. His banner over us is love. And Jesus understands our every need and is ever acting on our behalf to represent us before God as complete in him. So that God does not view us as sinful creatures, but as those who are forgiven and covered by the righteous blood of Jesus. What amazing grace this is. If that's you this morning, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, that is God's view of you. He's, he looks at you and he, he sees nothing but the blood of Jesus as he, as he gazes upon you. And praise God for that. The... The message I was going to, I'm planning to uh, present to you this morning has three parts. I'm going to talk about his position, that is, what, uh, what he, where he stands uh, in, in relationship to us, his power, what he's capable of, and his promise, what he will do. Three points, a pastor's dream of an outline. And so we're going to try to stick to that as we, as we proceed here this morning. His position, where he stands. Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Jesus has passed through the heavens. He is there at the right hand of God. That, that uh, Declaration is made several times in Scripture as to where Jesus stands right now. Often, sometimes, we'll refer to Jesus in our heart, and in this, in, in, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, that uh, view. It is his spirit that comes to live within us, but Jesus, the Son of God, is at the right hand of God. He's ever-present at God's right hand and will be until he comes again. And that promise is also given to us. We can look forward to it. We can expect it. He's at the right hand of God. In that position, at the right hand of God, this text tells us that he is our great high priest. Now, in, under, in understanding that passage or that thought, we need to, to uh, understand a little bit about the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, although... Scholars will argue or debate over who actually wrote the book. Uh, the, the author is never really identified in the text. I personally kind of lean towards Paul, but that, that's not a definitive uh, uh, statement. Uh, there, are, there are other possibilities as to who wrote the book of Hebrews. But I take that back. I know who wrote the book of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit wrote the book, inspiring whoever the human author may have been. But in doing so, 
He, this book was written particularly to the Hebrews, the Jewish people. It was written at that time so that the Jews would have a better understanding of who Jesus was. Now, we need to pay attention to it as well, uh, uh, but it is the purpose and intent was to point to Jesus. I love that. The whole Bible points to Jesus. And therefore, every preacher who preaches from this pulpit ought to point to Jesus if they're preaching from the Word of God. Amen. And so that's what we're here to see this morning, Jesus in his position as the great high priest. Here's, here's uh, some other things about this book. In the first couple of chapters, it is the superiority of Jesus that is pointed out. He is superior to the angels, the Hebrew people regarded angels uh, highly. He would have, he would have uh, this author was presenting Jesus as superior to those angels. He was superior to Moses and the prophets. The Jewish people held highly their regard for Moses and the prophets who had spoken about, about uh, God and what was being revealed to them. Jesus was superior to those guys. And Jesus is superior as a high priest. He was superior to the priests. The Jewish people looked to the priests to, to guide them and lead them and represent them to God and offer sacrifices for them and, and, and do those things that are all outlined. You know, a good homework assignment for you in understanding Hebrews in the presentation of the priests would be to go back and read the book of Leviticus. Do that and, uh, and well, that would be a good challenge. <laughs> Superior to the priests. The role of priests. Well, first of all, someone has said this. Prophets were given in order to represent God to men. That is, they, they got the, the revelation of the word of God and brought that to mankind. Brought that, pre revealed that, uh, declared that. This is what the Lord says. Uh, that's what prophets were given for. Priests were given in order to represent the people to God. And so they were that intermediary, that inter intercessor. And that's going to be a key word for us as we move forward here this morning. Here's two supporting scriptures to this idea of intercession. Just in my Bible, it's just one page over. To, uh, flip the page to uh, Hebrews 7. At chapter uh, and verse 23, it says this. The former priests, that is those priests that were, that were given to you uh, previously, those priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that is Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, that is completely, he is able to save completely who? Those who are drawn, drawn near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's what Jesus is doing right now in the presence of God, at the right hand of the throne of God. He is interceding on our behalf. And he'll do that until the end of time, until he comes again. Yeah. 
Amen. Thank God that he, that he is there on our behalf. Another passage of scripture is 1 John 2.1, which I memorized several years ago, and hopefully I can quote for you now. My little children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one, uh, one who talks with the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's ever interceding on our behalf. That is what Jesus is doing. Jesus' priestly role, his position that he's standing in, is for our intercession. You can thank God that there's somebody there to stand in for you in God's presence This is an illustration, if you will, of, of uh, Christ on the cross. In the end, he said, it is finished, and then he gave up the ghost. What he was saying is, the plan is completed. Salvation is done. The sin's penalty has been paid in full. Years ago, I think it was about the 1980s, I can remember hearing a uh, little chorus that we sang in church for the first time. I don't know, it may have been around longer than that, but I, 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 I can remember the words having particular impact in terms of my view of what God had done for me. It, it was this, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, all day long. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. Praise God that Jesus stood in for you and now he stands at the Father's right hand and intercedes for you. The devil wants to accuse you make you feel guilty, accuse you before God. Look at, look at Bob down there. He's, he's done that again. He's not worthy to be your child. And Jesus stands in and says, wait a minute. I paid the debt. He's, I've got him covered. He's mine. Praise God that he's there. He paid it all. That's his position. How about his, um, his uh, power, what he's capable of? Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable. He's, he's not, he's in. How do I put a, a double negative there? I don't want to. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He is fully capable of sympathizing with us. In this Heart of Jesus series, what my focus in this message is on Jesus' sympathy for us. And there it shows up in that passage. In that verse. Sympathy. Sympathize. The word uh, has, is a, the Greek word is sympateo. 
Sympateo is two Greek words put together, sim and pateo. Sim meaning with, pateo meaning suffering. With suffering. When I've heard the word sympathy before, I've often thought of feeling sorry for something, someone, having that, that feeling of sorrow. This understanding of the real Greek word has more of the idea of empathy. I've been there. I know your feeling. I know what you are going through. That's, what, that's, in fact, what has happened. Jesus is able to suffer with us because he suffered for us. Just look across, again, in my Bible, it's across the page in, in chapter 2 at verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He understands our temptation. He understands our trials. He understands our testing. He has gone through it. Sympateo. He is suffering right along with us. He understands that for us. There is an identity with it. Some people have said this idea of his perfect sinlessness made temptation easier for him. He's able to resist it easier because he was perfectly sinless. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever sweat blood in your resistance of temptation? I, I must say I haven't. I've folded to temptation before I got to that. Jesus sweat blood. I'm here to say his temptation and the resistance to that was that was not easier, it was in fact probably more intense. Before you came to receive Jesus Christ, I better hang on, before you <laughs> came to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the devil probably just let you go and do whatever you wanted to do. There probably wasn't a lot of things. But when you received Christ as your Savior, the devil increased his his uh, temptation, increased his attacks. We haven't yet even experienced the resistance pressure that Jesus underwent. 1 Corinthians 10.13 gives us a is a great passage. I would encourage you to memorize this as you deal with your own temptations. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. You are no different than anybody else. Don't think that, that this, this is such great temptation that, I, that, I, that no one else could, could, uh, could stand it. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But... When you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Amen. Wow, that is cool. Now when I'm under temptation, I need to look for the way out. Maybe I'm looking for a way out right now just to get away here. <laughs> no, I'm not, no, no. 
When we undergo temptation, look for the way out. Well, what is the way out? What is the way out that, that we, we need to go to? In John 14, verse 6, a familiar passage again to us. John 14, 6, Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We often associate that with salvation. That is true. That is very good application of that verse. Jesus is the only way to God in terms of salvation. I like to think that that verse is also pointing to he's the way out. The way out of our sin bondage is through Jesus. Hebrews Chapter 12, verse 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You want to know the way out? Look to Jesus. And he'll lead you. Jesus' perfect relatability is our identification. He identifies with us. He's been there. He understands it. He's gone through it. He suffers right alongside us. He, that is his heart of sympathy to understand and know us completely, have complete identity with us. I want to tell you Aunt Dory's story. Aunt Dory is not my aunt. She... Uh, um, uh, she was an aunt to two sisters that attended our church in Oak Ridge, Oregon, when we were pastoring there. Aunt Dory was, I was referred to her as Aunt Dory like she was my aunt because we just, we just adopted her so close into our family. She, she was in her mid-90s when I first met Aunt Dory. Her sisters had told me that she had, Aunt Dory had been in the hospital and was now in rehab uh, at a facility getting ready to be released back home, strengthened from her, whatever the, the issue was in her hospital stay. And they asked if I would go visit her in the rehab center. I did, and I got there and introduced our, our, myself. Uh, it was my first meeting with her. And then she said, you know, Pastor, there's a dream I've been having, I've been troubled by, and I need to, sh to share it with you. And Aunt Dory told me this in this dream. She saw the people of the world just all going up into heaven, just all being gone. And, and she was actually helping some. And, but when, after a while, she looked around, and there was nobody to help her. She was feeling anxious about that and, and disturbed by it. And then she'd wake up. I looked, I looked at Aunt Dory and I told her, you know, there was somebody there to help you. It's Jesus. He's reaching out to you even right now. All you need to do is reach up and take his hand. After a few more discussions about what it means to be saved, and Dory prayed a prayer of salvation there in that, hot, in that rehab bed. She died a few years later, but this picture was taken 
uh, in her home uh, after she was released to go back home. She told me when we got there, you know, Pastor, things have changed so much in my life since Jesus came into my heart. Things have, uh, it used to be that, that he, God, and Jesus, they were all way out there. I, I would pray to them, but it was like, what's the use? She said, now, now he's right here. Now he's right here. There was a relationship that came into Dory's life that had an identity with Jesus, and he had an identity with her, and she knew it. That's what happens when we understand Christ, his position, and his power in our lives. One last thought in terms of his promise. It's here in verse 16. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, in this passage, I, as I looked at it, I was thinking, you know, there's kind of some basics to prayer in that verse. Just some basic ideas of prayer, the, kind of the ABCs of prayer, if you will. And the first one is this, that we ought to approach near, that we are to come near to God. He, he, like Dory was saying, it's, it's, he's no longer distant. He is near. I can draw near to him. That's how we ought to view when we go to prayer, that we are near to God, that we are in his presence at the very throne of God. Secondly, we ought to be humble. <laughs> Remember the good-for-nothing person? <laughs> My wife always told me that her purpose as a pastor's wife was to keep me humble. And she was very good at that. We ought to remain humble. God, in his word, says this. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do you know what this verse in Hebrews tells us that he gives? He gives mercy and grace. Did you see it in there? There's a connection between grace and our humility. Be humble. Don't tell, come to God saying, I know how this is, this is needing to go. I got it figured out. You, you fit into my plan. That doesn't work. God, whatever your will will be done. And then the C would be come with confidence. That's right there in the verse. Come confidently, knowing that he will do what he has said he will do. This last week I've been reading in my own personal devotions in 2 Kings. 2 <laughs> Kings, it, in, in, in several of the passages that I've been reading, it, it says, and God did exactly what he said he was going to do. God did to Ahab's family exactly what he said was going to happen. God did to Jezebel exactly what he said was going to happen. Everything that God has said will happen, will take place. 
God has said in his word, let us, uh, verse four, uh, 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that, he may, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in, the time, in our time of need. That's what he says. Believe it. Trust it. So that, in this, in this phrase, is a statement of purpose and promise. It's, in other words, you see it right in the middle of the verse. It says, that we may receive. It is so that. It is, it is the, the purpose of this confident approach to the throne of grace. It is, it, it is the promise of that, of that verse, uh, of that uh, uh, state of being in our prayers. Someone has said this. Mercy is what God withholds that I deserve. Grace is what God gives that I don't deserve. I don't know if that's completely accurate to Scripture. I, I find places where mercy and, and grace are used almost interchangeably. But there's a distinction in this verse about mercy and grace. There's some things that we deserve as sinners. Death, judgment, wages of sin. God has withheld that from us in his mercy because of what Jesus did for you. Grace, he's given us things that I don't deserve. He's given, us, he's given me things that I, that I uh, can't explain. That, that I, there, there's nothing I deserve. I did not deserve to be viewed by God before the creation of the world as his child. It blows my mind. Yet, in his grace... He saved us. Knowing that, knowing that, that he withholds things that I do deserve and gives that things that I don't deserve ought to really humble us. It ought to bring us to our knees before God. When is my time of need? When is your time of need? It's now. It's now. We are a needy people. And we can thank God that he is there to answer our time of need. Thing of it is, sometimes it takes time. <laughs> sometimes we have to wait on his, uh, his mercy and grace to be re realized and, and seen in our lives. But I will tell you this, he's always on time. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He won't be late. He'll give the mercy and grace. It'll come at the right time. It'll come at the right time that we need it. My message was on sympathy. 
Jack's message that he was going to bring this morning was on compassion. Jack will bring that message at some point. I saw a link between sympathy and compassion. I saw a link in terms of God, Christ's identification with us in terms of understanding our needs and compassion. I looked up in scripture all of the passages that talk about Jesus and his compassion. I'm not going to share all of them with you, but I saw in, in my research or in my looking uh, these three categories of things. The first of all, a physical. Jesus was compassionate about people's physical needs. He saw the hunger. Jack's going to preach on the feeding of the 5,000. He saw their diseases, and, and he was moved with compassion to, to touch them. He, he, was, <clears throat> he was compassionate about their emotional needs. He, he grieved with them. He sorrowed with them. He wept with them. I've quoted verses for you this morning, but I dare say one of your, one of your memory verses has probably been, Jesus wept. There's, a, there's one you can re identify with because he's identifying with us. He was moved with compassion over these things. And then thirdly, his, the compassion scripture passages show us that he was moved with compassion over their spiritual condition. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He was compassionate towards the lost. Here's the link between compassion and sympathy that I see. And Jack, like I said, Jack will preach on this later. Sympathy has the identification with the person in what they're going through, the identification of suffering together. Compassion moves that feeling to action. Jesus has both. He has compassion for our, us. He has sympathy for us and is moved with compassion in his heart. He understands us. He's been there with us. Jesus' <clears throat> passionate response to us is our intervention. He intervenes in our time for us. Maybe this is one of your favorite hymns. It is one of, one of mine. I'll tell you my favorite hymn, Victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus, because there is victory in him. But this hymn is one as well. His eye is on the sparrow. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion? My constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His, uh, for his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. What a great hymn. What a great thought. Very scriptural. Jesus is concerned about the sparrow, but he's also concerned about you and I. Paul prayed at one time for a particular weakness within him or a particular irritation in his life, a particular thing. We don't know exactly what it was. He prayed that it would be removed. And God's response to him was, 
my grace is sufficient for you. God may not remove you from your trial, but he will be there to strengthen you through it so that his grace would carry you through. Amen. So what? When I preach, there's always going to be a so what. This is not, well, so what? This is, so what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about this? And James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. We can't just come here to hear a good sermon, maybe hear, hear, hear some jokes, to enjoy the songs and the music. We can't just come here for the entertainment. We've got to come here for what God has for us. There are two instructions in this passage that, that uh, the writer gives for a believer's response. And they both start out with, let us. You can see it in the passage. The first one is this, let us hold firmly to the confession, to our own confession. What is our confession? It is our confession of faith in Jesus Christ. It is, and he's saying, let us firmly hold to that because of Christ's position where he stands in, in the throne room of God interceding for you each and every day, every hour of every day, where he stands there because of what he is capable of doing, his power within him to identify with you and your suffering, whatever it may be, because of his promise to you that he will give mercy and grace to meet you in your time of need. Hold firmly to that. If you're here this morning, you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, the so what is like, well, so what? You can hold firmly to the Jesus Christ that I'm talking about this morning. In a moment, I'm going to close. I've got one more point here to make on the so what, but when I'm done, when we're done, after we've sung a song, said the benediction, I'll hang around here for a few moments. If you're here and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're kind of sitting there saying, well, so what, let's get out of here. I would encourage you not to get out of here without first grabbing hold of Jesus Christ. He's here to help you. The second, so what, is approach confidently. Approach him with that confidence that he will do what he has said he will do. I don't know what trial, what temptation, what testing you may be undergoing right now, but this passage is one of the greatest passages of Scripture to encourage us in our walk with Christ. He's there talking to the Father for us. He's there sympathizing with our need, and he is there ready to give us mercy and grace to meet us at, our, at the exact time. Notice the sequence of this. Hold firmly, then approach. 
Aunt Dory said, I used to pray. I prayed to God. He was out there. Now that I've received him, he's right here. Unless you hold firmly, the approach means nothing to you. Lord God, I, I thank you. I thank you for the heart of Jesus, the heart that sympathizes and meets our every need, that understands us, that, that represents us, presents our defense before you. Ah, God, I pray. I pray for, for the, the hearts of, of Bethany Church. I pray that those who are here this morning have come to receive you. And Lord, if there are any who have not, that your, that your spirit will have worked upon their heart to move them, to want you, and to reach out to you. Thank you, God, for this opportunity to share your word together, for your spirit to speak with each one of us. Go with us now in this day in Jesus' name.